John chapter 10. We're going to finish up the chapter, reading verses 22 through 42. And you'll notice as we get ready to read this, um, John says this is taking place during the Feast of Dedication in winter, uh, which today we would call, it's during the celebration of Hanukkah, right? And so, brief history lesson, Uh, in the year 167 BC, um, foreign army came in and a guy named Antiochus Epiphanes uh, determined to desecrate the temple. So not only did he take over the city of Jerusalem, he, um, well, went into the temple and sacrificed a pig on the altar, deliberately trying to uh, antagonize the Jews and and humiliate those he just conquered. So basically, he sought to destroy everything Jewish, and that triggered what's called the Maccabean Revolt. So if you read 1st and 2nd Maccabees, you can get some of that history. And as they took the temple back and Israel got some of their freedom, um, they rededicated the temple to the Lord. And so that whole celebration and ceremony is just swirling around the background. John wants us to have that in the back of our minds as we read, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. So let's read chapter 10, uh, verses 22 through 42. It says, at, the to- at that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem, It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, But everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. This is God's word. He has spoken to us today in love, and that word is true and trustworthy. As Jesus said, it cannot be broken. Let's pray. Father, it is your hold on us 
that assures us of your presence, of your grace, of all the good gifts that we have in Christ. And so today, Lord, we ask that you would show us the security we have in Jesus. Uh, you would chase away our objections, our fears, um, our reasons to wander, um, that we may be a people by your Spirit who trust your shepherding, who trust your forgiveness, who are willing, as those who will never perish, to take risks so that you might be known and worship across the street and around the world. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. That's kind of the, the elephant in, in the room here in, in our passage. Um, it's the, the source of our anxiety. Um, you'll find this behind our, our frenetic busyness. Uh, you, you'll find this thing behind our current political moment, why there's so much anxiety and anger. Um, you'll find it in the hearts of those picking up stones, trying to use the threat of it to get what they want. Right? And Jesus describes it in verse 27, it's, it's perishing, it's death. Right? That, that to be human is to recognize that your time on earth is limited. And because our time is limited, that makes losing unbearable. And it makes right now matter times infinity, because this is all you have. Right? And so Bertrand Russell, the 20th century atheist, when he says, I, I knowing, when he writes, why well, I am not a Christian, he, sa- he describes life without Jesus' promise here as one built on the scaffold of unyielding despair. Because you know that no matter what you do, every great thing that every human being is ever going to do is going to perish. It's going to burn up in the noonday sun, as he says. So the way to build a life is to squeeze as much joy, as much satisfaction, as much accomplishment out of right now, even though you're perishing. I'm starting that way because one of the gifts that Jesus is going to give us here in chapter 10 and especially chapter 11 and in the gospel really is is we have the ability to talk about death in ways that our neighbors can't. We get to talk about perishing. We get to talk about losing because of the death and resurrection of Christ. Because that's what Jesus did. He what we looked at last week as the good shepherd, what he did to demonstrate his love for us was as the the, the permanent, the eternal creator, he chose impermanence, becoming human, to lay down his life for his sheep. Jesus has authority over death. So one theologian put it this way, that the way you could describe Jesus' authority over death, it's like he took one hand on his soul and one hand on his body and ripped himself asunder. Because he says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. For this reason, my Father loves me, because I lay it down that I might take it up again. Authority over death. And and you can see the way that uh, dominates the way he, just his presence in the room. Because even when he's surrounded by a hostile mob picking up stones, he's just able to respond. He maintains his confidence that no one can take his life from him, his life and time are in his father's hands, 
And so when Jesus in verse 28 says to us as sheep, you will never perish but have eternal life, you can see that he's passing on to sheep (laughs) that confidence that you can face death. That death has no hold on us, that, that nothing can separate us from union with God the Father and God the Son, uh, you're held secure. And so that's the question I want to start with this morning is, um, do you believe that? Do you believe in the gift of eternal life? Do, you, do your anxieties, do your fears, do your sorrows, uh, does the way you live right now reflect that you are permanent in Christ, according to Jesus' words in verse 28? Are you okay with losing? because Jesus won? Are you okay with dying because Jesus lives? One of the ways I got to see this lived out um, was, was in the testimony of some older Christians. This is a great, a great encouragement, right? If you're a younger Christian, it's, it's just helpful just to watch older Christians follow Jesus in whatever context. And you, you'll, you'll find a lot of things just get caught just from hanging around them. Um, and so when I was a young guy in Madagascar, I, the, the person who met me off the plane was a British man in his 60s named Colin Molyneux. And one of the, I just remember a very specific conversation, this was several months after I got to know him, where he told me a story of why he left the comforts of Britain to be a lifelong missionary in Africa. And Colin's story was that he was a, a British missionary kid. He was actually born in the Belgian Congo. And at age eight, so think Ezra's age, um, at age eight, even while living in the jungle, he's like, I'm going to be a missionary like my parents. Well, he went back to Britain for school and met his wife, Christine, and, and he, he recounted a specific moment where he had a choice. I can choose a life of risk or I can choose a life of sacrifice. I can choose a life of luxury, and I'm, he was a really talented engineer. He can make lots of money in Britain and be really comfortable, or he chose to take the risk um, to move back to the Belgian Congo, where he went with his wife, where they had their first daughter. And this is the conversation I wish I had recorded. I wish I had the cell phone going, because um, he just told that when the Belgian Congo, right, when the Congo rejected the, the, the colonial overlords, um, led to all kinds of political instability. And what he and his young wife and his new young daughter had to do was flee through the jungle for their lives, literally with death nipping at their heels, crossing, crossing the rivers, I mean, you know, avoiding the crocodiles. They were on these rickety um, homemade ferries. I mean, yeah. I just remember being mesmerized that here is this man who's following Christ at the great risk of his own life. And that's what he did after there. They, they, they'd hoped to go back to Congo, but it was never safe, and he ended up in Madagascar for 30 years and then in Kenya uh, and to where he eventually retired. And that's just one story in the history of 2,000 years of Christians living out their trust that because Jesus, the good shepherd, gives the gift of eternal life, they're willing to take risks to make Christ known. 
They'd say things like, John Patton, I'm invincible until the Lord Jesus Christ is done with me. With guns and bows and arrows pointed at him. And so this morning, what I want to ask is, um, what is it about Jesus? Who is he that can give you that kind of confidence? You know, what kind of person has the authority to tell you are permanent, therefore lay down your life for others? Right. And so that's where we're going to pick up in our text, because as Jesus is being grilled by the religious leaders, they ask him two questions. They say, one, are you the Messiah? And two, are you the Son of God? And they don't like both answers. <laughs> but so let's, let's break it up that way. Jesus, are you the Messiah? And if you're looking at, at the passage, probably a more accurate way to translate the question would be, is they come to him and it says they surround him and say, Jesus, how long do you intend to annoy us? Right? Stop keeping us in suspense. Just tell us, are you the Messiah or not? And of course, Jesus never went public like that with those claims, especially in the light of it's the Feast of Dedication. You announce you're the Messiah, they're going to immediately think, let's, let's raise up an army, let's fight back. Jesus' response to them is, I've told you and you don't believe. I've told you I'm the Messiah by showing you my works. And so, you know, you think about the way we've walked through the story of Jesus so far. Jesus is the bread of life who provides food in the wilderness for the sheep. They were supposed to see something about Jesus there. Jesus is the light of the world. He's going to shine a light to the nations. And he demonstrated that by healing the blind man. Even as he talks about being the good shepherd, some of the Messiah, messianic passages in the Old Testament are about when God himself in the line of, he's, God himself is going to come and he's also going to send a, uh, a king in the line of David to be a shepherd, to care for the sheep. Right? Um, Jesus said things like, Moses and Abraham have been waiting for this day. Before Abraham was, I am. Right? And of course, Jesus' point here is he's, He's, uh, making a he's drawing a line between those who are his sheep and those who are not. Right? My works demonstrate who I am, and my sheep are those who hear my voice. And the reason you don't believe is you don't hear my voice. Right? Even as he's pleading with them to look at the works and to think about it. <laughs> right? He's not writing them off, he's persuading. Now, here's where I want to meditate with you. Listen to what, how Jesus describes what, what it means for, for him to be our shepherd in verses 27 through 29. Right? Jesus says to us, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. And so, to belong to Jesus, to be his sheep, is to be someone who's been summoned by the shepherd, who's spoiled by the shepherd, who's held secure by the shepherd. Summoned, spoiled, and secure. Because listen, listen to the process, right? Both Jesus' sheep and the Jews physically hear the exact same words 
They're looking at the exact same works, but they have completely different responses. Right? And Jesus' explanation for why you're here in this room uh, listening and responding is because you've heard Jesus' voice in the scriptures. You've heard this internal, mysterious call coming to you from the external scriptures. That when the gospel is proclaimed, when the scripture is read, it's not just this beautiful idea or an inspiring concept. It's, it's, it's the voice of the living God saying, come follow me. And you, it's hard to explain other than you say, now I want to follow. And the proof that you've heard his voice, that you've been summoned by him, is your desire to obey him. You want to follow You say, say and sing things like trust and obey, for there is no other way. Right? Tis, to, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, the hymn goes, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus says the Lord. Right? So to be one of Jesus' sheep is you're, you're, you're being summoned this morning. It's, this is the call. Uh, it's, it's an effectual calling, as, as the Westminster uh, pastors would teach. But the, the second thing, if you're one of the sheep, you're, you're spoiled. I was trying to find an S word to keep the alliteration going. <laughs> right. But in, in, in some ways we are, right? It's a, verse 28, Jesus says, I give them eternal life. It's a gift to his sheep, the gift of being permanent. And a more literal translation of verse 28 of when Jesus is that Jesus is saying, you will never, ever perish. In the Greek, it just kind of stacks the negatives to emphasize, show the emphasis. And so that's why I say you're spoiled because you're given the gift of something you didn't even know to ask for as people who did not deserve it because we're sheep. Who are prone to wander. And so the gift is you get to look at death as non-threatening, as an enemy for sure. But it's going to get to the point where Jesus in, John, in chapter 11, we're going to look at next time, uh, he calls death sleeping. You know, Lazarus isn't, uh, Lazarus is just asleep. And we, we the reader, know he's, he's dead. And so the, the gift, this is why Jesus' sheep are spoiled, the gift that he gives, and this is the encouragement for sheep who are suffering, is that no matter what happens, you're given a future that, that no amount of suffering can take away from you. You will never perish. You'll never be destroyed. There's something that, because you become a part of the new creation as you're born again, that's, you know, this body is perishing, but you know, inwardly you're being renewed day by day, as Paul will say. That's what Revelation 7 wants you to see. Right? It's given this encouragement to, uh, to Christians who are suffering, who are in really hard places, who are dying for their faith. And it says that these people, this is their future, they're before the throne of God. They serve him day and night in his temple. And the one who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. It's a 
uh, an image of um, not suffering in the wilderness? Why? For the Lamb, Jesus, in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God himself will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Do you see how spoiled you are as a Christian <laughs> with this gift of eternal life that's received through faith in your shepherd? Right? You're given the gift of permanence in an impermanent world that is marred by the curse of death. It should give us some measure of confidence even as we weep. And so... Jesus' sheep are summoned, they're called, they're, they're spoiled, they're given this gift. And third, they're secured, right? That once you're in, no one can take the gift away because you're held secure, in verse 28, in Jesus' hands. And literally, uh, Jesus expands that. It says you're, you're held in the Father's hand, and he and the Father are one. That, that to belong to Jesus is to, is to embrace the reality that um, you'll never be separated from him. You can't be stolen. You can't be taken. Nothing in all of creation in this cosmos can change the security you've been given in Christ with this gift of eternal life. So, uh, Pastor J.C. Ryle, right, he, he says it this way, that Christ declares that his people will never perish, and weak as they are, they all will be saved. Not one of them shall be lost and cast away. Not one of them shall miss heaven. If they err, they shall be brought back. If they fall, they shall be raised. The enemies of their soul may be strong and mighty, but their Savior is mightier. And no one shall pluck them out of their Savior's hand. Now, this is one of those passages that we use as good Reformed Christians <laughs> to, to make an argument for Jesus teaching us uh, about our eternal security. It's what's called the perseverance of the saints. Right? And if you're, to, to summarize it simply, it's the confident assurance that you are a Christian and nothing in the cosmos can change that. Do your anxieties believe that right now? <laughs> that death itself can't violently rip you from Jesus. He's with you now and forever. I mean, you see who the, look at the text. Who, who does this assurance depend on? This is, this is the good news. It's not you. It's not me. Right? It's for you, for sure, but it's not depending on us and the, the quality of our faith. It's not dependent on how good you're doing lately or how bad you're doing. It's completely dependent on the power and will and strength and desire of God the Father and God the Son being united in that desire to hold on to you as we sang. He will hold you fast. And so that's why the, the systematic theologian that we would have to read in seminary to put ourselves to sleep, um, because that's just a really big book. Um, Mary, this is, this is beautiful. The perseverance for the Christian, this is in your bulletin, uh, may be defined as that continuous operation of the Holy Spirit in the believer, by which the work of divine grace that's begun in the heart, you've been summoned is continued and brought to completion. And it's because God never forsakes his work that believers continue to stand to the very end. So, again, do you believe this? 
Why are we so quick to believe that Christ would be sick of us or done with us because of fill in the blank in light of these words? Let me rephrase the question. What's stronger, death or your will? I mean, no matter how hard you try, no matter how much you want to never stop breathing, at some point, because you're human living in this world under the curse of sin, you will die. I mean, death is stronger. And yet Jesus says, I give you eternal life, showing that he's stronger than death itself. And if he can overcome death, why do you think your will can overcome Jesus' will to hold on to you? This is phenomenal news. And I know it's a mystery of how our faith, our effort intersects with the power of God's will, but the testimony of Jesus for the sheep is that he is holding on to you and that the gift is greater still. You are spoiled because God's grace is sufficient from beginning for right now and to the end. His grace has saved you. It has kept you safe thus far and it says grace will lead you home. I mean, the, the, the testimony of the scripture is that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Uh, Isaiah 35, there's a highway in the desert that Jesus forged for you. Uh, and it's the kind of highway that not even fools can get lost on, right? You don't need a GPS. Right? Paul in Romans is, is much more explicit that those whom he foreknew before the foundation of the world he called and those whom he called he justified. Those whom he justified, he glorified. And because of that, golden chain that comes to us in Christ, nothing in all of creation can separate you from your good shepherd in Christ Jesus. Even as you are a sheep, like to be slaughtered all the day long. It's in the same passage. Right? We are dying, but we're safe. That's the testimony. To quote Psalm 42, why are you cast down, O my soul, hoping God and hoping his salvation? And so I'll, I'll ask you again, what, what, what would be your objections to Jesus, the Son, and God the Father holding on to you tighter than you can hold on to him? Because I know some, some of our, this is an internal Christian dialogue, right? And, and some of our, our friends that are, aren't Reformed would say, well, the only thing that can escape God's will is yourself. Right? To which I would say, yes, you can run away from the Lord because that's the definition of being a sheep. And Jesus says he holds on to sheep. Right? And we have Jesus, the good shepherd, whose desire is to leave the 99 to go find those who wandered off. I mean, the testimony is you are God's sheep and that never changes. In Christ. You may wander away for a really long time. It doesn't mean you stop being his sheep if you are the sheep who's received the gift of eternal life. From the perspective of eternity, your shepherd's hunting you and he'll bring you back. Right? You were his sheep the whole time because truly nothing in all of creation can separate you from that love. So to be a sheep right, that belongs to Jesus means you can't sin your way out of his grace. 
You may be stubborn and need a lot of attention from the shepherd. <laughs> but that's, that's the reality of what Jesus is painting for us. And so why would you reject the gift? Why would you choose anxiety when he's giving you assurance? And of course, others would reject and say, well, if I believe that, I wouldn't want to listen. You know, grace abounds, so let's sin. Right? If I'm always going to be a Christian, once saved, always saved, as the, the phrase goes, why don't I, why can't I just do whatever I want? If I don't have that threat looming over my head that I might lose my salvation, I'm not going to obey. To which the question would be, well, why, why are you obeying? Don't you love, don't you hear the shepherd's voice calling you to follow him? If you're hearing his voice, to follow him means to obey him. Don't disconnect those who hear the call, who are summoned, from the security. They come together. Right? doesn't mean there's no effort involved. You don't coast. Right? I mean, even Peter in 2 Peter 1 will say, make your calling and election sure. How? Practice excellence, grow in knowledge, self-control. You've got to practice steadfastness. And the only way you learn steadfastness is to go through horrible times fighting to believe and hold on to your faith in Christ and believe that he's holding on to you. And when you come through on the other side, you look back and say, wow, God was holding on to me stronger than I could hold on to him. Right? Others would say, well, what about the warning passages in the Bible that say, don't you dare walk away because it's not going to go good for you. Right? And the answer is, well, put it in the context of the whole story of the Bible. Right now, this is where we live. Jesus, where God, where God the Father and God the Son are right now, right, is outside of time. If they tell you that you as a sheep are secure, that is good news. But the way we, in our limited, finite uh, human selves, hold on to faith is, is to believe. We have these warnings saying, don't you see what you're going to miss out on should you walk away? Right? In Hebrews, it, it talks about, you know, if you walk away, why would you ever want to go back to what you had before in, in the Old Testament faith? Because Jesus is better, so don't walk away. And as long as it is today, which is every day, Preach the gospel to yourself because your heart can be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Right? Those are tools that we have that Jesus uses as we listen to his voice, even listen to his warnings. Those are tools by which he's holding on to us. Because Jesus' sheep hear his voice and say, yeah, I don't want to leave him. That sounds terrifying. Why would I want to stop being spoiled by the, the, the God of the cosmos? Now, the, the Christian is, is, is a sheep held on to by the good shepherd. And we can have that confidence because of, well, because of the way Jesus describes it. Uh, because the Father has given the sheep to Jesus, and God the Father is greater than all, and no one can snatch us from the Father's hands. Right? You're double covered. You've got God the Father and God the Son united in their will hold on to you. So much so that, that if, if we are receiving the gift of eternal life, Jesus is receiving the gift of his sheep. Right? We're valuable. 
So, again, do you believe this? You can see why you start to really slow down and meditate on the magnitude of what Jesus is saying, why the next thing the, the, the original hearers turn to Jesus and say, who are you, what planet are you from, and how can you, a mere man, make yourself out to be God? This is blasphemy. We're going to kill you. Because the only one who could make that kind of claim be someone who knows the Father, who's from heaven, who's more than just a man. He's, a, he's God who became man. Right? See, if Jesus is the Messiah, the good shepherd, you are guarded by your good God. And that, that's his first point. And the second point, Jesus then goes to prove he's the Son of God. Um, because this is where the conversation heats up when Jesus ends that by saying, I and the Father are one. Right? They're in the temple during the Feast of Rededication. If he and the Father are one. He's functionally claiming to be exactly what he said elsewhere. I am the intersection between heaven and earth. I am the way to God the Father. And we are united. My Father knows me and I know my Father. And so they rise up and want to kill him. And John's great at this because you're supposed to see the irony. Because they're like, we want to kill you because you, a man, make yourself to be God. And if you know the story, Jesus is God who's made himself a man. Right? Look at how the argument goes for Jesus and how he responds and, and seeks to prove that yes, I have the authority to say these things, and I am the Son of God. Right? And it, it's a brilliant argument in the presence of, I mean, for us, we would say, you have a gun pointed at you. What are you going to say? And here, Jesus goes to Psalm 82, verse 6. You know, like all of us would if we were in his shoes. <laughs> right? No, he uses the Bible to answer them. And he, he says, the scripture cannot be broken. And the, he gives one of the highest views of the, the Old Testament scriptures. It must be fulfilled. And then he says in verse 6 of Psalm 82, which we should turn there, it declares that there are humans who are called sons of God, sons of the Most High. Now, I made a, a wisecrack, but you know, Psalm 82 isn't one we memorize like Psalm 23. All right, so uh, I'll, I'll read the whole, whole thing here. It says, God has taken his place in the divine council in the midst of the gods. He holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and fatherless, maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute, rescue the weak and needy, rest, deliver them from the hand of the wicked. In other words, guys, be good shepherds. That's what the, the text is saying. Care for the sheep, the weak and the needy. And then the accusation comes of these, these judges, says in verse 5, they neither have knowledge nor understanding, they walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. And here's what Jesus refers to in verse 6. I said, you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit the nations. 
right? I mean, this is a psalm of justice where God says, I'm going to hold bad leaders accountable for their poor shepherding care of the sheep, their lack of desire to care for the sheep, the, the harm they've done to the sheep. And Jesus points out that those to whom the word of God came in verse 6 are called sons of God. And nobody gets offended to claim that God is Father if you've heard the word of God. Right? That's his first point. Right? And so the way he then uses this argument is if in the Old Testament these folks heard the word of God and they can be set apart and be called sons of God and no one gets offended, why would you be bothered if God the Father set Jesus apart to be a judge, to send him in the world, into the world, to speak what the Father tells him to speak, to do the works his Father tells him, right? To, to speak God's word to him. Why are you bothered by him being called God's son? Right. So you see, the, the, it's a complex uh, exegetical move there. Jesus is, is trying to say, look, in the Bible, if you're to be human, to receive the word of God, it, you, you have God as Father. So why are you bothered when I claim faithfulness to my father, and I claim that my father is with me when I actually obey the father, which is different than you. <laughs> In other words, part of what Jesus is saying, right, I am so united with the father as God's son. Um, he dedicated me, consecrated me, and sent me into the world to keep his commandments. And this is during the Feast of Dedication. So this is where I think John includes it. The word for dedication and the word for um, being set apart have the same root. And so you guys are worried about the temple when the true temple is standing right in front of you as the Son of God. That's what Jesus is saying. Right? And the Father is the one who sent me here call my sheep, to do Psalm 82, what we could not do, which is rescue the weedy, the, the, the weak and, and needy. Right. And so this is just setting you up for later where Jesus will say, to meet with me is to meet with God the Father. Uh, to meet with me is to have heaven and earth come together. Right. And so tie this together for us here. The reason Christians are safe and secure and spoiled as his sheep is because Jesus' oneness with the Father. As he is the dedicated, consecrated Son of God sent to die in your place to purchase that security for you. That's the good news of the gospel. That Jesus is not like the leaders in Psalm 82 who don't care about the sheep. Like the, the Jewish leaders in John 8 through 10 who use death as a weapon to threaten. Right? No, Jesus loves the sheep. And he's here for you. This is what the table's all about. 
Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God. And because he has the love of the Father for laying down his life for the sheep, he can say, I and the Father are one, and we are one in our desire to have you with us and us with you. Yeah. The chapter ends with Jesus escaping, and he withdraws to where he was baptized, that place, of course, where a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And the, the, the people there talking said everything. John didn't do anything miraculous, but everything John said about Jesus is true. And they believed. And what did, Jesus, what did John the Baptist say? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So let's, let's land the plane here. We're coming to the table. This is the means by which Christ makes you permanent in an impermanent world. This is the means by which you're having assurance of pardon and assurance of your future um, spoken to you and tasted and digested. He's, he's saying to us this morning, if you, you trust in me as a sinner who's prone to wander, you are my sheep. You are, you're, you've been summoned, you've been summoned, you are spoiled, and you are secure. And the reason you'll never perish is because Christ perished for you. So the question is, armed with that kind of grace, how then will you live? Um, I know one pastor was really good at pointing this out, that because Jesus died and rose again, Christians should be free, more free to lose than we actually are. More willing to voluntarily lose than we are because we have something that our non-Christian neighbors don't, which is permanence. It doesn't mean there isn't grief involved. We're not robots. But Christ and his victory sets us free to lose because death is defeated. And so we're going to celebrate in a couple weeks, death, where is your sting? You may not be called to run to the, the jungles of Congo and run away from armed rebels and Ebola and whatever else is happening there. Um, but it does make you, cause me to ask myself if the testimony is I am safe from beginning to end, why am I not more willing to take more risks for my Savior to make him known when he laid down his life for me? So go and think about that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for this eternal security. And I, I pray that um, I pray that we would see and taste and experience here in a moment uh, just how much you are holding on to us. We would see your will, your desire to have us. We would see that will enacted. Um, and we would see the covenant kept, the promise kept. Um, if there be any here who do not yet know your shepherding care, Lord, I pray that the, the beauty of your care for sinners would, would draw them to the Savior. So be with us now as we come to the table in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to invite the elders to come forward.
Part of what we've been talking about the last two weeks is that the qualification to be a Christian is to be a sheep, and to be a sheep is to be someone who is, uh, is what we said last week, you're incompetent to run your own life. You need shepherded. And if that's your profession of faith, even if you've wandered in the last week, the invitation for the Lord's Supper is for sheep. So I would encourage you, as one who's put faith in Christ, to come and receive uh, nourishment for your souls. Come and see how spoiled and secure you are and experience it and taste it. Right? And so that's why we as a, as a church say this is not a Hope Church table. This is a Christian table. This is Jesus' table. If you have professed faith as a sinner in Christ and receive that gift of forgiveness of eternal life, come and eat. If you're a part of a, a church that, that preaches the same good news, you're, in, you're a sheep in good standing, <laughs> which would be the language of um, you're a sheep and you want to follow, follow Jesus' voice. Okay, that's, that's, that's the requirement. You're, you're, you're trying, right? So, to come and eat. If it's not you, if you're not sure that you it's okay to stand back, watch, come talk to myself or one of the elders. We'd love to, to talk about what it means to be, to belong to Christ. So here now the, the words of institution, and then I'll ask John Van Voris to pray for us. This is Jesus's commands to do this, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.